Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad begins a new sermon series titled Counter Culture, diving deep into what it should biblically look like when the church and culture meet. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Welcome, Impact Church, to the house of the Lord. Are you guys excited as I am to be here today? Man, yes, sir. I almost kind of got them butterflies in my stomach like it's like a big football game or something I used to play in back in the glory days. Man, this is awesome. I love it. Hey, and it is awesome to have the full family back. College students, give a big yeah. Glad to have you guys back, man. Uh, Amazing energy in the house. If you're visiting with us, maybe first, second, third time, welcome to Impact. Lord's doing amazing work here. If you're searching for a church home, we hope the Lord would settle you right here, that this would be your last stop and your last shop. Amen. God's doing amazing work. We would love for you to be a part of it. And uh, we're going to get right into this today and uh, get started in this new sermon series. But first, I want to tell you uh, just a really quick update on Coach Doug Smith, uh, head coach of the Appomattox Raiders football team. Man, he was back on the field this past Friday night, man, uh, versus LCA. It was great to see him. And uh, I'll give you a a further update up on him next week. And we're going to play a video uh, that uh, basically is him leading him through uh, the team in a prayer chant in the locker room before they ran out. And it was powerful, man. So I want to share that with you guys next week because it'll tie in well to the message next week um, because it'll kind of be themed around a little football. It's football season, so we got to throw some football in. And uh, so I want to share that with you guys next week, but let you know that he's doing well. We had him, for those of you that were here, did an interview uh, uh, sermon with him basically through our series in Philippians that we just finished expositionally. And uh, man, just seeing what God's done, led him through. He's looks like he's uh, coming out of the cancer, close to being deemed in remission, possibly. So uh, keep him in prayer and we'll give you an update on him next week. So huge stuff. But guys, today, I know you've probably, many of you may have seen on our social media posts that we have a new sermon series started today, and a lot of you have been kind of energetic about it. We've uh, alluded to it the past couple weeks, and this sermon series is called Counterculture, Speaking the Truth in Love. Guys, it's going to be something that I believe the Lord is going to move in. It's going to be something that the church of Jesus Christ as a whole needs to hear. Not just this church, but every church in America should be speaking what God says on these subjects. But far too often, we've seen pastors do this when it comes to these subjects. I know that glass is clear. You can still see me. But anyway, they just fade behind the shadows. They get quiet. Why? Why? Are you scared the budget may have to change and you got to sell the building? Do it. Honor God for what he has put in his word and has called each and every pastor. And we're going to see this today beyond each and every pastor, each and every follower of Christ to do. And that's to stand on his word and share the truth in love. So what does that look like? 
Man, I'm going to be honest, we haven't had great examples of what it looks like for the church to engage the culture in the past few years. Because one of two things have happened. Either we just, we see what we just talked about. We see this church just zipping their lips, being quiet, and in a sense accepting sinful conduct and lifestyle as somehow now acceptable in God's eyes. We've seen that a lot. Probably in a majority of churches across America, we've seen that. And then we've also seen the flip side, where the needle goes completely the other way. Where you've got the dude sitting on the corner. You're going to hell! Right? Maybe some truth there, if, it, if there's no repentance. But there's more condemnation than love in that. So where is it? We've seen all love to the point of loving people to hell. And we've seen all condemnation to the point of beating people over the head with the Bible. But God says that we're supposed to bring the truth in love so that people are more receptive to the truth. And, and hey, we know that a majority of people in the world are going to reject it. Broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow to eternal life. Amen? I mean, that's, that's biblical. But still, there's a, there's a way in which we need to engage the culture, church, that gives hope, that gives life, and that brings light to these issues instead of heat. Because far too often, whether you're speaking with a family member, a, a co-worker, a, a friend, whatever, when we get engaged on these subjects that we'll talk about over the next few weeks, it turns into an argument. And it's just not supposed to be that way. So how do we, as followers of Christ, present the truth, but present it in love? We're going to be talking about that. You know, I want to start this sermon series off with a, a story that happened back in the 80s. And there was a plane crash. There was a, a Spanish airline, Avianca, if I pronounce that right, Avianca Airlines, crashed into a mountainside, a Spanish airline, but they were warned. You see, what happened is everybody was wondering what caused this plane to crash? Did, did something go wrong in the mechanics? Did the, did the radar or the plane mess up? I mean, something had to happen for this plane to just go right straight in bed into, into a mountainside, killing every passenger, flight crew, everybody on board. And there's this little thing that we know of in planes when they go do the investigations called a little black box, right? I've heard people say, man, said, when I buy a plane ticket, I want to sit on the black box because that's always the thing that survives. But anyway, so they get this black box that gives all the communications of the plane before it went down. And this is what they found. The radar of the plane didn't mess up. In fact, it caught the mountainside well ahead of time and sent warning to the pilots pull up, pull up in this kind of English voice. This is a Spanish flight, right? Pull up, pull up, it repeated, pull up. And the pilot took and flipped the switch and turned it off and said, shut up, gringo. And minutes later, met its fate. Ignoring the warning signs, that were given so clearly of what's ahead. And with an attitude said, shut up, I don't want to hear it. Guys, today we're living 
in a culture, and unfortunately, even in a 21st century American church that is growingly and increasingly flipping off the switch of the warning of God's word that's telling you to pull up. That the mountainside's ahead. And you're going to hit it if you don't heed the warning. That's what this whole series is about. It's for us to hear the warning of what's ahead. And even more than that, for us as a church, as a body of Christ, to understand and know what God's word says. Because far too often, when again confronted with these issues in our culture, we as followers of Christ, man, we just don't know what to do. We either get angry and argue, or we just don't say nothing. And God wants us to be what we're going to see today is a difference maker. A game changer, if you will, to make an impact in our culture. That's what we're called to do. And it's done through truth spoken in love. And that's what we want to talk about. I want to speak to this special body of Christ. Because I'm going to be honest with you. We're going to go through the word. We're going to present truth. All right? And we're going to present it out of the, God's word, not my opinion, and we're not going to apologize for it because it's God's word and not mine. And, and it's not like I tried to, you know, dream up, oh Lord, you know, what, what's, the, what's the best sermon series I can do where I can get the most hate mail and be called the most names? And, and, and that's no. Because I'm going to be honest you, with you, for about two years, the Lord has, has laid upon this heart, laid upon my heart that this sermon series was coming. And it was just about prayer about Lord when, when, when. And in the middle of Philippians, through everything we've been going through, the Lord just said, it's now. So that's why it's up next. And this has been prayed over for years and prayed over for weeks. And, 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 and I, I can't even begin to express to you the, the magnitude and the weight of what's going to be carried over the next few weeks. So I want you to stay in prayer over, over this church, over this series, that, that the truth is spoken in love. And that ultimately, God's word does what it says it's going to do, and that's change hearts. It'll pierce the heart and marrow. So that the truth is going to speak to the people who have, who have deviated from the truth of God's word, and it's going to heal and mend lives and families, and, and it's just going to be a beautiful thing. But then something else is going to happen. The church, us, we're going to be informed of what it looks like for us to exist in a culture going the opposite direction where we can still intervene through the spirit and the power of God and through the truth of his word to make a difference in hearts and lives. And what I know and believe are the final hours that we have left on this earth. Revelation is being played out before our eyes. Before our eyes. If you haven't heard, China and Russia are looking to team up with the Taliban now that they got them some weapons. And you read Revelation and you hear about a 200 million man army that's supposed to march and take out a third of the earth. Mm. And you see everything else that's played out before our eyes and you realize that this is the greatest altar call in the history of the world, I believe. That's what I believe. I believe it's now or never. Because I'm going to tell you the only thing left in Bible prop prophecy to be fulfilled right now, the, you know what the next thing is? Jesus coming. Rapture, rapture. That's it. And then there's this seven-year period where 
Three and a half years, not so bad. Three and a half years, hell on earth. You don't want to be here for that. You don't. Because then when the dude on the white horse comes busting through the clouds at the end of that seven years, he's not coming back as the lamb that was slain. He's coming back as the lion, as the tribe of Judah, and the sword is coming. And as a pastor, I don't want anybody within the sound of my voice to experience that wrath. So I am called and you are called to speak truth and love to a culture that desperately needs it. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, because we would not be here without you. And Lord, we're here for you, for your glory, and to hear from you. So Lord, right now, I pray that you would do what only you can do through your word, and that's speak. Lord, I want to hide behind the cross. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be heard. I want people to only see and hear you and your truth. Because, Father, your words change hearts and lives. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would have receptive, open hearts and minds, Father, not just today, but in the many weeks ahead that you lead us through these issues that are so sensitive and oftentimes divisive in our culture. Lord, that we could do and be everything that you've called us to be for a time such as this. Lord, come, change us, mold us, shape us, use us for your glory, and we give you praise for everything that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, so you can go ahead and turn with me. Our first passage will be in Ezekiel chapter 22. You can go ahead and start turning there because we're going to go through the why of this series, but I want to go a little more into the what. What is this? What is this series? What is it going to be about? As we alluded to, we're going to be speaking on a bunch of issues that face our culture today that are, that are right up in front of us, that oftentimes are sensitive and divisive in our world. Because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's a, a mounting cultural pressure on how we should think, act, raise our kids, and exist in this society. There's a pressure from the world on us as followers of Christ. So when we are faced with some of these issues, which many of us have really ran from for way too long, how do we respond now? How do we react when it's being pushed right up in our face? How do we act? What do we do? Do we bow up and get angry? Do we fade back and be silent? Or do we stand firm and speak the truth in love? Right here. How will we respond? How will God's people know how they're to address these topics and issues if the pastors that God has put in place don't speak on it? How? Matter of fact, that's probably a lot of the problem as to why the church is deviated so often is because there's a bunch of what I like to call pulpit pansies out here that don't want to speak up about truth because they're scared. They may, there may be even some of them that believe the word of God. They may believe it's true, but you will not hear it from their pulpit because they're scared people are going to get up and run out. 
And my prayer has been and is been that the opposite will take place here at Impact, that nobody will leave, that actually you'll be like, you've got to come here. You want to hear some truth? It may not be in preached out there. It is right here if you're looking for a church home. And how we can now have an intelligent conversation with people about it. That's huge. So that like we said at the beginning, we can bring light and not heat to a conversation. That's what God wants us to do. So now why? I want to go through four whys to this series. Because as I alluded to, the Lord's been pressing for a while for this. So is there a biblical reason? Is there a biblical call from scripture for a sermon series like this? Is there? Let's look. Because I pray, Lord, teach me. What does your word say on why you want us to speak up and have sermon series like this and speak on these issues? First one, we'll connect with what we talked about last week. And the first one is we are called to be an intercessor. That's why. And we talk about what it looked like to be an intercessor for the Lord and how the Lord looked for an intercessor among the people. And I want to read this Ezekiel 22 passage for you in a little more depth than what we did last week. If you missed last week's message, please, guys, go back and listen, especially um, all you college students and maybe some new folks. We, we went through the vision, the heart of, of what Impact Church is and what we're doing. So we'd love for you to go back and check that out last week on uh, Facebook or on our uh, YouTube channel. So anyway... This intercessor, what does this mean? Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 22. I want to read for us verses 23 through 31. I'm going to let the word of God speak for itself. It says it, it's talking to Israel's wicked leaders right here. And it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. Who are the prophets? pastors, the preachers of the day. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things all for money. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They haven't spoken the word like it's supposed to. False doctrine. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. The pastors, the preachers, the teachers had deviated from God's word. Her princes, that's her leaders. Now, leaders in the community, maybe government, if you will. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Does that sound familiar? Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining things, divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. Many people today say they've heard from the Lord and believe what the Lord said and claim to have visions and the Lord hasn't spoken. It happened back then as well. You can be led by a spirit, but it doesn't have to be the spirit of God. There's other spirits at work. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppress the stranger. So here we go. Ready? Because of all that, because of all this chaos, because of all this wickedness, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found 
no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Guys, today we are called to be an intercessor. We are called as the church of Jesus Christ to be somebody to stand in the gap. When the world has gone chaotic, when maybe a, a majority of pastors aren't preaching the truth and, and there is a bunch of false doctrine out there and when the, the, our, our, our princes, our, our own government is destroying people, looking for dishonest gain and when the world's gone in chaos and going the wrong direction, the Lord today is looking for somebody to stand in the gap. And you'd be like, hold up, man, stand in the gap. That sounds a little tight. Yeah, it is. You're going to get hit. And we alluded to like a football representation last week about how you, uh, uh, you're to fill a gap on defense and you're to, to, to block this up to keep the other team from running all over you. And that's what we're called to do. Who's going to fill the gap, guys? Individually in your homes, mom and dad, who's going to fill the gap for your kids? Who's going to fill the gap? You're going to depend on the youth leader? You're going to depend on the teacher, the Christian school? Or are you going to step up and fill the gap? Who's going to fill the gap in society? Who's going to be the body of Christ that rises up and says, yes, we're going to stand on the truth. We may be persecuted for it, but we're going to speak the truth in love. We're standing in the gap. That's Impact Church as long as I'm up here. I can promise you that. And we'll talk about why in a minute. Not because I'm anything special. Not because I'm some Mancho cavalier guy. That has nothing to do with it. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I would just as soon run and hide behind the bushes in this sermon series as to preach it too. Because I know the wolves are coming. But I have been called, as we'll see in a little bit, to stand. And so have you. Second reason why we have a series like this. Matthew chapter 5. We have Jesus speaking here and. He goes through what's called the Beatitudes and he basically lists out what it looks like when there's a heart or a life that's changed and what it looks like to, to live out the Christian walk. And he goes through all these characteristics through Matthew chapter 5 of what this looks like and, and what the benefits are of living a life for Jesus and in righteousness. And then he comes to the end. In Matthew chapter 5, let's read, let's read verses 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You're familiar with this passage. After all these things have been explained, Jesus says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, who? You, yeah, you, I love it. Don't you love driving church and being honking and stuff like that? Man, if it won't forget an air conditioning, I don't know if we'd ever have a building. But anyway, we got to have air conditioning one day. You, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they... Light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's why this series, church. You and I, you, me, are called to be salt and light. And if we're to be the light, nobody wants a light that's under a basket. It's worthless. 
put it on a stand so everybody can see. We're called to be salt. But if we lose our flavor, if we lose our saltiness, then what are we good for anymore? The Bible says nothing. That's scary. That God has put it on us to do something, to be on a mission, right? To get a little oomph, to get a little passion, to get a little spine, to get a little stiff in your back about the word of God, to not bend or sway with the culture and the shifting winds of the culture, but to stand on God's word, which is solid and never changing, and say, thus saith the Lord. To be like the voice calling out in the wilderness like Isaiah and John the Baptist that says, this is the way of the Lord, walk in it. That's it. That's what this is about. And we're called to be salt and light. So that at the end of this verse says, so that people can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What does that mean? So that the culture, culture sees the characteristics above in the rest of Matthew 5 there that Jesus just alluded to. That's why the culture needs to see that. And then when they see that, and they see how you live your life for Jesus. They'll pause and think, man, there truly must be a loving, almighty, merciful, caring God that has the power to transform lives because I see him working in and through that person and I want that. That's why, church. That's our call. Young people in school, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, you're not called to just live it up while you're young right now. You're called to make a stand for Jesus. Lest I remind you about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where, how old they were, and stood before a whole nation for the Lord in opposition. That's what God's called you to do and me to do today. And they weren't disrespectful. They weren't calling names, but they stood on the truth and didn't sway. There's your word. So what's salt valuable for? Back in the day, of course, there was no refrigerations. You know, they didn't have the refrigerator they could go and, and do their stuff. So salt was used to preserve things, to keep them from what? What does preserving do? Keeps it from corrupting, decaying. And we're called to be the salt and light of our culture, the salt to keep the culture from decaying and corrupting. What does salt do? It flavors things, changes the taste of things. Anybody getting a word besides me? So we have the opportunity to preserve and we have an opportunity to change the direction and the look and the flavor of the culture by living out our lives for Christ. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect because we never will. But our heart is not to make excuses for the sin and the wrongdoings or to look more like the world than we do like Christ. We're called to be light. What does light do? It guides. It gives clarity for direction. It also gives clarity to expose danger. Because the boogeyman comes out at night, right? Deceptiveness happens and runs free in the darkness. And as the darkness creeps in over our society, the evil gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. But we are called to shine the light and to expose truth here in love. So we know our call is to be salt and light because we're the bride of Christ and, and Christ is going to return and, and, and he wants our, his bride to be spotless without blemish. And the only way we're going to do that is to live our life through his spirit in his righteousness. Not our own righteousness. It's not about our works because our works are honestly by themselves like filthy rags, the Bible says. 
But this is about a life lived through his spirit that people can see Jesus in us. In other words, we do not do good works to get saved. We do good works because we're saved. There's the difference. We're saved by faith in Christ alone in the finished work of the cross. But let me be very clear also, the same work that Christ did to save us is the same work he wants to do in you to sanctify you. You're justified in Christ and you're sanctified through Christ. But so many times people think we can have Christ and not follow the path of sanctification that we can block our heart off from the rest of what God wants to do. We want the ticket of salvation without the change that should come after. And there's where we're getting in a danger zone. So the concern is what's happened inside the church the past 60 to 70 years when you look at this. One would argue we've lost our saltiness. We're not shining the light. The light is dimmed. As a church of Jesus Christ as a whole, we have succumbed to the thinking and the processes of the world and accepted them as doctrine into our churches and ignored God's word and what he says. And it's caused the rapid fall off that we've seen. You see, what is so scary is how quick it's taken place, guys, especially in our nation and in the world for a whole. But I want you to think, as, the, as everything was laid out and Moses had the Ten Commandments and even before that, God's, God's laws were given and, and, and all this uh, expectations of what God wanted for his people, you're going back thousands of years, right? And so for thousands of years, much of the, the doctrine of the Bible was even accepted amongst society as the way to live life. Now, not everybody agreed with it. That's not what it means. And not everybody adhered to it. But it was a majority accepting of God's rules, God's laws, God's look at morality of what was right, what was wrong, and what would cause destruction, what would cause pain, and what wouldn't. And so for, for years, even up through the 50s even, we had seen the culture accept much of that, where there was a, a majority, if you will, that would have accepted that. But now, fast forward to the 2000s, 2000, early 2000s, and especially now as we're in 2021, the majority doesn't accept this anymore. Matter of fact, the majority is going against this now. After thousands of years of a majority accepting this somehow, even against amongst those who don't believe Christ and, and don't follow the Lord, they still accepted the morality. What has happened in the past 60 to 70 years to make it drop off a cliff? The church has lost its saltiness and we've dimmed our light. That's what's happened. Stop blaming the people who are doing everything that we're going to be talking about over the next 10 weeks and start blaming ourselves for not standing on the truth. Start blaming our pastors who haven't spoken the truth in the pulpit for years like it should be preached. I'm not talking about beating people over the head with the Bible and preaching hell and damnation. That is not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about this hyper grace preaching that teaches people you can come to Christ without repentance. That's scary stuff because that's not true salvation. You don't believe me? Read your Bible, please. I don't care what your professor told you. Without repentance, there is no grace. Without repentance, there is no mercy. 
And I've heard pastors tell somebody, all you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved because that's in the Bible. But you got to take the Bible as a whole. What else does it say? Oh, there's a whole lot. We don't have a whole lot of time to dive into that right now because I got to finish this up. But what it does say, you ask the rich young ruler who come to Jesus. He believed and he called upon the name of the Lord. What must I do to be saved? Why won't he saved? Because he couldn't give Jesus his heart. He couldn't repent and turn from the worldliness of his ways. For him, it was money. So he went away rejected. He knew Jesus was the Messiah. He came to the right place for salvation. He called upon his name. He had followed the law, but he couldn't surrender his heart in repentance. So he wasn't saved. But yet we have churches every day that give people false hope that they can have their sin in Jesus too without repentance. This church of Jesus Christ better get salty again. There's still a remnant out there. There's one right here. There's a remnant, but as a whole, it needs to buckle back up, repent and turn, and start standing on the truth. Why? Because God longs to change hearts, to heal and mend people who have been deceived and lied to and fallen for the ways of the culture and their lives are falling apart and they don't know it. And at the end, if they stay in this, like we talked about, something's coming. What is that? Let's look at number three. Why? Do a sermon series like this? Because the warning siren needs to be sounded. So we need it to be, we're called to be an intercessor. We're called to be salt and light. Number three, the warning siren needs to be sounded. Turn with me back a, forward a few pages rather from Ezekiel into Ezekiel 33. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 33. And I want to read for us verses one through nine. My hands are so sweaty, dude. These pages are like. Stick it, you know what I'm saying? All right, here we go. Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 9. Siren needs to be sounded. Are you ready? This is a huge passage. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land... If he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life beautiful. Let's keep reading because now it gets deeper to the watchmen, to the preachers, to the body of Christ that's supposed to stand on his word. Are you ready? But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, you, we heard that in another passage, didn't we? You, 
I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. He's speaking to Ezekiel right here. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. And now you see why James chapter 3 says, not all of you should aspire to be teachers because you're going to be judged much more heavily. Do you feel the weight of that passage? And my heart begins to break for the pastors out there that are not speaking the truth, that are not telling of the sword that's to come, to, to propose the truth and speak it in love in such a way that people have an opportunity to hear and turn from their wicked ways so that they can miss out on the wrath of God which is coming on all mankind because of sin. And if we don't speak it, the Bible's very clear. The blood is on the hands of the pastor that doesn't preach it. So it ain't going to be on mine. That's why we preach a sermon series like this. Not to condemn. It's not it. There is no condemnation going to come from this pulpit. None whatsoever. I get passionate a lot, for those of you who've been here. I'm passionate about God's Word, and, and I get amped up and, and really energetic and, and, and kind of get a little kind of amped up in my voice sometimes. And some people may be like, oh, why is he so mad? <laughs> I'm not mad, man. It's just, it's just something in me. I, I guess it's, maybe it goes back to the football stuff. I don't know, where you kind of get in the huddle. And it's like one guy in the middle of everybody, and they're firing everybody up for the game. All right, let's go, baby. Come on. It's all the got. We got 60 minutes right here. That's it. I'm not mad. I'm trying to fire everybody up to do something. So when I get amped up like this, I'm not mad. I'm trying to fire up the church of Jesus Christ to, uh, awaking, to wake up a sleeping lion that needs to start to roar a little bit and to speak the truth in love and watch God go to work. But there is times through this sermon series where I cannot be my passionate voice yourself because it will look to some that are living in the sinful lifestyle that I am coming down and being condemning and that's not the message I want to bring. So there's going to be messages in this series where you're going to be like, what's happened to Brad, man? Like, he's just being real quiet today. So there's going to be times of that, and then there's going to be times where I'm speaking to the church, and I'm up here, and I'm firing you up, and then there's going to be times where I'm speaking God's word and bringing it down where there's love and not condemnation in it, so people can hear Jesus and let the Spirit of God work in their life. And I pray, I pray that you would pray for me in that, that I could do that, because that's how I believe Jesus would be. Because that's been my heart. Jesus, if, you, if, if we had you as a guest speaker, which I wish we could, man, I would, I'd love to be sitting right there and Jesus right here doing it. I'm just saying. If we had you here and you were the guest speaker, how would you teach it? How would you preach it? Because I know you would not be silent. I can promise you that. He would not be. He would be speaking about everything we're going through, everything we're seeing. He would be teaching us. He would be. 
He taught to multitudes many times, and it happened so many times through Scripture where he was performing miracles, and all the big crowds were gathering. Ooh, Lord, because everybody loves the fluffy, good feeling on Sundays. But then when Jesus would start preaching truth and the word and about walking in righteousness, the crowd would disperse. And at one point in the Gospels, you might remember this, Jesus even looked at his 12 after the whole crowd had dispersed. He said, y'all going to lead too? Jesus would speak the truth. He would. A lot of people wouldn't want to receive it, and they would leave. 2 Timothy chapter 4 alludes to this. Paul speaking to Timothy verses 1 through 5 says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Love it. Preach the word. I'm commanding you. I'm charging you to do this, Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn away their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I can't speak it any clearer than that as to why we do what we do. Between Ezekiel 33, the watchman needs to, to stand on top because a watchman in back in that day would get up on top of the roof, up on top of something where he could see out. And when he saw the enemy coming, when he saw danger approaching, he could holler out to the people, hey, get ready. It's coming. Guys, that's what he's called us to do. It can't be any more clear than that in Scripture. Starting from the pulpit which we will be judged more severely for, and the blood will be on our hands if we don't, but then the call is also to you. Are you ready? You say, oh, Brad, what are you talking about? Fourth and final reason that we are called to be his representatives. Why a sermon series like this? We, each and every one of us, those of us who call ourselves a follower of Jesus Christ, who call ourselves a Christian, which is a disciple, a follower of Jesus, are called to be his representative. What does that mean? What is a representative in a foreign nation? It's somebody who represents another place. You and I are called to represent another place that's not this place. But too many times, all of us as believers look like we belong to this place and not another place. That other place would be the kingdom of God. God has called us to be set apart, to be different for his glory. It's not through our works. It's through his spirit that brings works out of us that he prepared in advance for us to do and to walk in them. That's what it's about, to be in the world but not of the world. The analogy of the boat that is made to be in the water but the water's not made to be, but the boat's not made to have the water in it because it sinks. That's the same analogy for us as followers of Christ. We are called to be his representatives. We all know 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if anyone's in Christ, is a new creation. The old things have gone. The new have come. That's a beautiful verse. Some people have it as their life verse, and, and, and they preach it, and, and they say it, and they love it, and I'm a, I'm a new creation. Oh, it's new. But is everything new? Or is there too much old still in there? Why, why in verse 17 are we called to be new? You ever thought about that? Is it just for you and me? Is it just for us so we can have this great feeling? Well, that's part of it. 
Because God wants a relationship with us. He wants to fill us up and, and be everything we're looking for. But do you know the real reason why God changed you, redeemed you, went to the cross for the church to be the bride of Christ and unblemished? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know, church? You ready? Skip on down there to verse 20. After it says you're supposed to be new, it says, because now then we're the ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Why were you made new? To be his ambassadors. What's an ambassador? It's a representative. Why be a representative? What's the purpose? What does God want to do through you? What does God want to do through you for that? Why? Why did he change you? Why should you be new? Why should you be sanctified? Why should you strike a blow to your body like Paul says so that you can finish the race, so that you can win the prize? Why strike a blow to your flesh and not live for sinful desires and, and live for Christ? Why be new? Why, 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 why? It's representative. Why? Huge point. As though God were pleading through us. It's as though God is pleading through us to others through how he wants us to live our lives out through his spirit and through the truth of his word. Do you see it? Now put this all together. We're called to be an intercessor. We're called to be salt and light. We're called starting from here down through the everybody to be a watchman to tell of, of what's coming and to speak the truth. Because God's called us to be his representatives in a foreign land, in a culture that's going our opposite direction. And he's called us to represent him. Do you feel the weight? You should. Because I do. And I don't know about you where you feel right now, but I don't feel worthy for that calling. Because I'm a sinner. Because I know me. And I know I've failed, and I've failed in the past, and I still fail today, and you do too. But in the midst of all that, what does God want? He wants us to fall on our knees and say what Paul did. So Lord, what a wretched man am I. The things I wanna do, I don't do. The things I don't wanna do, I do. Paul said he's the chief of sinners. But did God still use him? He wrote half your New Testament. You bet he did. Why? Because even in the midst of Paul's failures, Paul's heart wanted to be God's representative. His heart was not to make excuses for sin. His heart was to not live for the world. His heart was to live for righteousness. And that's what God is calling you and I to do today. In the midst of our failures, in the midst of us not feeling worthy to be his representative, he's calling us right now through the power of his spirit, right now to fall on our knees and cry holy and repent to him and say, God, I'm praying that you would strengthen me, use me for what's ahead. Because I'm gonna tell you right now, some may say, well, why did God save us and redeem us and then let us live in a culture like this? I don't know about you, but I feel the weight of that a lot because every week, every month, I feel less and less and less like I belong here. <laughs> I do. I feel less like I belong on this earth anymore, and you should too because that's how it's supposed to be. 
You're like, Lord, I don't understand the thinking of people anymore. I don't understand. Their, their eyes have been blinded by the lowercase g, God of this world. The Bible said that would happen. I don't feel like I belong anymore. I think differently. My heart's different. I want to live different. I don't belong here. That's exactly the point. You don't. So let's live like it. Let's be an intercessor. Let's, when God's looking for somebody to stand in the gap and it looks like there's nobody, whoop. I'm here, Lord. Here I am. Use me. Send me. I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner saved by your grace. But I believe and trust in your word and I know what you've done in my heart and what you're doing in my life. And I want other people to see Christ in me so that you can do the same work in them. That's what God's calling us to do. To stand in the gap. Be salt and light. Warn of the sword, sound the siren, be his representative because God wants to speak and use you. I want to tell you right now, you were born at God's predetermined time to be the age you are and live the life you live right now in the final hours of this nation, in this world. I believe and trust that and I hope you do too. God divinely appointed you to be where you're at, to go to school with the people you go to school with, to play ball with the people you play ball with, to go to work with the people you go to work with that I don't know, to be in society around the people you're around, to run into the people at the grocery store, to run into the people at the gas pump, to speak truth and love, for people to see Jesus in you. You were made for such a time as this. Can I charge you today to stiffen your spine? Hide yourself behind the cross. Let's learn in these next few weeks how we engage the culture on these issues and speak the truth in love so that we can be Christ's representative in a world that he's trying to plead to through us. That's counterculture, and we're gonna speak the truth in love. So will you stand in the gap? Let's bow our head. Let's close our eyes as we close this service up. And the first thing I want to know is this. Is there anybody here today that's felt the power, the weight of God's word today and has the spirit of the Lord tugging at your heart? You feel like somebody's tugging at your heart, tapping on your shoulder, whispering in your ear? Right now, that's Jesus. He's calling you. If you've never received him and made him Lord of your life today, right now, today, I want you to commit your life to him boldly and unashamed. Get it right. You may be here today and you say, Brad, I've walked in and out of church doors my whole life. And I even had an emotional experience at the altar one day. My great grandma and mom took me to church and I remember that day and I was crying and weeping. But since then, there's really been no change. All this change you've talked about, all this newness, all this, this sanctified life, all this filled with the power of the Spirit, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, maybe today you need to rededicate your life to Him and make sure that you know that you know that you know today that you are surrendered to God. And let me tell you, it's not about a prayer because honestly, you'll never find the sinner's prayer in God's Word. It's not there. It's about your heart. 
Because you can come up here, you can go anywhere, you can pray a prayer and just say a bunch of words and not mean it in your heart and let God change your heart. And all you did was say a bunch of words because you never let God change your heart. Ask the rich young ruler. So today it's about the heart. It's Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, but your heart that you're justified and saved. Yeah, you're going to confess him as Lord with your mouth, but it's with your heart that you're justified. Will you bring your heart to the throne of Jesus today? Fall down on your knees before a holy God and cry out, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of you, my Savior. I've messed it up to this point, but thank God for your redemption, your power, your grace and mercy that falls freely. It's a free gift. We don't have to earn it, but it comes only to those who cry out in repentance, God save me. Will you do that today? If you've never done that, will you do that for the first time? If you're unsure of that, will you rededicate your life to the Lord today? I'm going to lead you through a prayer, but right now, let this come from your heart and not just your mouth. If that's you, for salvation or rededication to say, Lord, I'm coming to you right now, surrendered. And I'm crying out that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my savior. I've fallen short of your glory, Lord, and I see it. I've messed it up. And Lord, today I'm running to the cross because I'm tired of trying to do life on my own. So Lord, I'm coming with a repentant heart and I'm asking you to forgive me. Thank you for sending Jesus, God in the flesh, to the cross to die and take the penalty of my sin, the just dying for the unjust, that I could be redeemed, forgiven, renewed, restored, set apart. And Lord, thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God in all victory over hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, right now, I wanna claim that same victory right now in my life. Lord, I need it. And my commitment to you is right now today that I'm your representative. Would you grow me? Would you strengthen me? Would you teach me your word? Would you help me to be strong where I need to be strong? Will you help me to speak the truth in love? Will you help me, Father, to be the salt and light that you have called me to be? Because my commitment to you right now is here is my heart and my life, Lord. Use it for your glory. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you meant business with God today out of your heart. You received him for the first time or you rededicated your life to him today. Boldly and unashamed, I want you to raise your hand. Say, Brad, I prayed that prayer. I meant business with God. I'm coming to him today and I'm not ashamed. Put your hands down. Impact Church, can we give Jesus a big round of applause, please? I love each and every one of you. I don't even know all of you, but I love you. <laughs> and I pray for strength in you, that we can take this word this week, that we could let it permeate our hearts, our minds, our lives, our families, and let God do his work so we can make an impact for Jesus. Hey, I want to tell you this. Bring somebody with you to church next week. Yeah, it was a little full today. Let's fill it back up some more. We, I don't know what we have to do. Maybe knock the whole sides of the tent down so we, I don't know. I don't know what we have to do. But let's fill it up because God is going to do an amazing work through his word and what he's got in store for us. So go make an impact for Jesus this week. We'll see you next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're speaking on relative versus absolute truth. A message called the Eternity Bowl. You don't want to miss it. 
Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ. Christ.